Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hello everyone, I'm Harry Sethi and uh, welcome to, to Rival Recon, a new preview podcast here on Annual Index Pro. Each week we'll be taking a deep dive into the world of Liverpool's upcoming opposition throughout Europe and the Premier League of course. Through insight from rivals across fan media and experienced journalists, this show will aim to provide you all the insight you need before the Reds next set foot on the pitch. So on the pod this week, helping me to kick things off uh, for the new pod, uh, we welcome back editor for TIFO Football and writer for Football 365, 442 and a host of others. Seb Stafford Blow. Hi, Harry. How are you? Not bad, thanks, Seb. Yeah, it's a brand new, sort of shiny new pod here, but probably very similar sort of subject matter. I know I spoke to you earlier, earlier <laughs> in the season about Liverpool Spurs, um, a game we thought was going to be, of course, at the at the new stadium, uh, and um, we'll, we'll definitely get on to talk about the trials and tribulations uh, that you've experienced around around stadium issues, but. Um, only what a couple of weeks away, if that now, from uh, your your first game finally in the new stadium. Um, but before we get into that, I just wanted to ask you, really, since we since we last spoke, what's your what's your view been on how Spurs' season has has unfolded? Of course, because you know, only a few weeks ago, uh, you know, favorites outside favorites for the for, for the title race uh, looks set to go down to the wire. Um, seemingly comfortable for for a third place finish in, in the league. Uh, but a bit of a difficult run here has sort of set you back into what now looks to be quite a competitive um, race for top four. Yeah, I feel like I've been lulled into full sense of security by Spurs. I, um, we started the season and I, I think the squad shortages spoke for themselves. Um, I see it was um, much spoken about that they did nothing through the summer window. Um, and looking at the team back in August, I, it was a shock to me that they got as far as they did. I think, um, I don't think, I mean, I, I, I know what the media said, but I, I don't think there are many Spurs fans who generally thought it was a it was a title challenge. Um, it was just uh, it was just going better than it might have done. And, and obviously, in the last couple of weeks, the things that people expected to happen, uh, the the shortages which were expected to be exposed, have have kind of come to pass. Um, and so I, I I don't know. I mean, I I think the lazy way of assessing Spurs now is just to say, oh well, they've run out of steam. I think there's a bit of that. Um, there's obviously a bit of fatigue affecting some players, but there there are pretty significant structural problems too. I mean, the I think the the issue that's blighted them all season is at fullback. Um, of the four available, five probably including Carl Walker Peters, I kind of I'm happy to to see one of them on the pitch. The rest of them, the rest of them come with their own sort of ominous organ music. Um, and in midfield, it's a little bit of a catastrophe. I mean, I. Harry Winks and Mrs. Sissoko have done really well to kind of to gaffer tape that area up a little bit, but neither of them are really specialists in the position they've been playing. Um, so in a way, it's kind of a transitional season, but because of the way it's gone or because of the way it went up until, I suppose, kind of the, the middle of February, it's it's kind of now it feels a little bit disappointing. It's a strange one to assess, Harry. It, it's a, mm. 
I it, it's been a journey. Let's put it that way. And I, yeah. it, it feels like I it feels like a longer season than it has been, just because of so much of the the off the field baggage. The obviously the stadium issue. I'm, we're going to talk about that. I'm sure. But also halfway through what was a, a very good run, we had the kind of the Pochettino to Manchester United thing, which is one of those parts of modern football that you can't really do anything about it. But goodness, it got boring. Like it, it sort of not in this in, a, in the kind of the tabloid media sense, but just in any time Tottenham were on television, it was like the commentary team couldn't get through ten minutes without you know breaking away from the game and have a little bit of a chat about what a fine job Pochettino was likely to do at Man United. Um, so it's been full of these little frustrations and trips to Milton Keynes and a lot of time at Wembley and and actually had it not been you know had it not been for the last couple of couple of matches it shouldn't have lost at Southampton that was a dreadful performance um it 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 would have been you know you, I'd have been more than happy with it now I feel like I've I've had something in 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 touch and distance the kind of the, the easy top four finish and it's kind of been taken away from me <laughs> now it's back to traditional Tottenham where they they make you worry week to week so uh we shall see we shall see yeah, for for a second there, I thought you were going to go properly into the whole sort of film soundtrack. It was a journey, you know. That's sort of American, <laughs> and because it, it it really has been that in terms of just you mentioned there, so a myriad of off the pitch issues, you know, the Pochettino yeah. stuff. That I mean, you, you're right. You you can't help it. You know, it's going to get those fa- those flame um, flames are going to be fanned by the media, um, and just really disrespectful stuff around sort of you know, every after every Man United game. I, I mean, I. I'm a Liverpool fan, so I, I don't watch a lot of United. But I, the games I had seen, I remember afterwards, just the, the pundits, uh, you know, it didn't take long for them to go, so how how will Pochettino turn us around? Well, <laughs> this is it, Harry. It's like it's the entitlement that comes with it. It's a kind of like a... Yeah. It's a, he's ours if we want to take him. Now, um, I'm not entirely sure that's really true. I don't, I don't think um, Manchester United were ever quite as appealing to Pochettino as they would like to believe, because... I, they're not quite. They're not really a football club anymore. They're a they're a content provider, um, a very wealthy one with a lot of you know uh, very attractive footballers. But it was sort of like okay, so so sort of on a whim, you feel that it's a, as easy as writing a check and reaching down to North London and grabbing him. Um, and yes, these are realities of modern football, and Tottenham fans are well used to to losing um, their assets to other clubs. But it's. I don't know. I, I, I think sometimes um, people in the broadcast media, I think sometimes need, need to remember that, that the Premier League or English football is not a is not a uh, Manchester United all or nothing series. It is not a it, it is not solely based around the kind of the the soap opera drama at that kind of clubs. There are twenty other teams there, um, and yeah, so a um, little bit of a meltdown around Christmas time about that, obviously. Still going through it by the sounds of things, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> a little um, bit. There's a little yeah. bit of residue there, yeah. I just, it's, it's, it's. You know, we've had it all our lives. I mean, I, I'm, I'm 35 now, so you know, I've had, uh, I've seen the rainbow of Tottenham teams. Um, but now it's like, uh, I don't know, just, just, just leave us alone. Just leave us alone for a little bit. Let us, let us, let's mm-hmm. try and do something. I think is, um, is where I was at with that. No, exactly. Yeah, and I mean. Two points on United there. I mean, they've now got the the answer to all of their problems. Should definitely get the job full uh, full time, uh, long term. <laughs> Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, I'm I'm i really am hoping that that is the case. Um, yeah, and a, and of course as well. I mean, I think um, 
friend of the pod, Musa Okwanga, he's going to really appreciate that reference there to multi-million pound Manchester, Manchester United as the sort of gold-tinged uh, content provider. <laughs> that, 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 well, that... I, uh, I went to school with Musa, did so you? <laughs> yes, I did. So we could we could even say I've said that specifically for his benefit. <laughs> I hope he's listening. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have to let him know about that, actually. Yeah, Absolutely, you do that. Yeah. <laughs> him and his Rabona pods now. That's, uh, um, but anyway, just, just to move on to, to Spurs, because as you mentioned, there's a whole host of things that were going on. I remember last time you came on, actually, right at the start of the season, um, you sort of urged caution as well. I mean, you, you, you were cautious about the, the lack of spending in the summer. You said ultimately it's going to come back to bite us. You know, some of the World Cup hangover as well. I mean, people sort of seem to have forgotten about that. But when you look at some of the injuries that have been sustained by some of the squads now, it's, yeah, you probably could link it back to the fact that they really have had little to no break. Or if they're playing and they're still fit, maybe they're not in their best form and, and things like that. But, um, in terms of what you actually put that form down to, then you mentioned that you think it's more structural issues, um, but there, there was a sort of stark lack of goals um, in in recent games and perhaps fluidity at times. I mean, I, I'd seen somewhere that um, Christian Eriksen was getting a bit of flack um, in terms of not being able, to maybe providing the creativity that we're used to seeing from him. It's, it usually does shoulder a huge amount of the of the burden um, at Spurs. Um, but but do you think it's, it's worth actually pointing at individual players there or do you think it really is just a case of those structural issues and squad size just coming back to, to bite you? I think it's a lot of, uh, I think it's a mixture, Harry. I mean, Ericsson, um, Ericsson suffers this every season. He has a, he has a period of about six to eight weeks where he's, he's flatly awful, actually. He's, um, it's not just the creative aspect of his game, which obviously you know Spurs depend on. It, it's a kind of what he does without the ball. One of the great early successes of Pochettino's time at the club was to transform him into a kind of uh, a, a classic playmaker, a little bit of a luxury item, into a really kind of blue-collared, hard-working footballer. Um, now, uh, I, I watched a lot of games recently where Ericsson, you know, he, he kind of goes through the motions in the press and he's he, he sort of jogs up to players, isn't really that fond of a tackle. It's very strange. I mean, some some Spurs fans have a, a few conspiracies attached to that. They think his head has been turned and that he is on his way to Real Madrid. Um, I mean, it sounds like from the lack of pressing and uh, sort of being a luxury player, <laughs> that he does have his probably, perhaps has his eye on, on, on either of those two clubs because you, know, you, can, you can think of plenty of players who play this, yeah. the same way out there, right? Well, I, I absolutely can, but then I, I'm also, uh, maybe I'm in a minority with this, but I, I see the Ericsson situation as being quite similar to the Philip Coutinho scenario. I mean, where you can become attached to the player so much that you you, you fail to recognize the upside of selling someone like that at the, the peak of his value. I mean, I, I, I don't know if this will be controversial with your listeners. I, I never thought Coutinho was that good. I mean, I, I know he takes a lot of shots from outside the box and he mm. is an exciting gifted attacking footballer but Liverpool are infinitely better without him and yeah. he hasn't really improved Barcelona and that, that, that speaks volumes I certainly the transfer fee that Barcelona paid it was just laughable I mean it's a kind of uh, an act of desperation from a, from a club like that I think what's really weird uh, now actually is that if if you were I mean, Liverpool fans are often divided into sort of camps on this, especially when a player leaves. I think you can you can just look at the way in which we we reacted to Sterling's departure, amongst yeah. others, really. Um, and you know, when you see a very good player leave to a club to try and improve their career, it's, it's, it's I mean, I think 
it's hard once you grow up enough i get it's it's definitely difficult of course it's hard but i think when you get to look at it into the perspective after a while you go well you know if 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 i'm in that situation yes i love liverpool whatever but um i'm I'm offered the chance to go to barcelona uh you know country where uh, i I can speak the language that i'm I'm comfortable with and my family will be comfortable there i get to play with that Lionel messi guy he's not too bad i get to link up with uh, my mate luis uh, suarez again but what's weird about the coutinho situation as well is that i think if you ask quite a few liverpool fans right now what type of player do we need what is the missing sort of piece at the moment it's 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 very much him in terms of that that style of player now that we've got the structure that we sort of lacked when he was here um mm-hmm. having him fit into that situation um probably would end up working which is which is ironic i don't know i mean i i um it's a strange one isn't it because i i can understand that perspective i, I think if there's a little bit more um uh attacking flair in liverpool's at the sort of the tip of liverpool's midfield i can understand why why people would see that as a as an asset, I happen to think maybe uh, you know a, another player of that kind possibly unbalances Liverpool. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's it's all theory, isn't it? He's not coming back, and, and you know, Liverpool, uh, Liverpool hard. I, I look, I, I understand the need to always improve, improve in that kind of perpetual evolution sort of way, but I don't think Liverpool have have too many worries. Um, That's true. Uh, but Ericsson, I don't know. The other the other things, I one of one of the one of the hallmarks of of um, Tottenham under Pochettino when they play well is penetration from deep from fullbacks and they just don't have the players to do that um, Kieran Trippier has has been a catastrophe since the World Cup he goodness knows how he made it into the last England squad he, he has been uh, he, he dreadful actually um, absolutely dreadful uh, Serge Aure can't tackle which is really interesting because it's a sort of it's one of those things where I understand what the kind of the prerequisites for a modern fullback are, and that you know you, you've got to have great acceleration, you've got to be able to sustain that acceleration of long long distances, um, you've got to be a neat technical footballer. But Sergio Aurier can't tackle. It's a, it's amazing to me that someone without that fundamental a defender without that skill has managed to rise as high in the game as he has. He, it's it's extraordinary. Um, so I, both both on the right side has been desperately poor. Uh, Danny Rose has kind of uh, has recovered his form, um, which is uh, which is excellent. He's got a, a very long long term injury, which um, he, he probably needed a good six months in a preseason to get over. Um, and he he's, he's he is playing better now. Ben Davis um, always always seems to get roasted at Anfield whenever he plays. So I I don't really want to see him on Sunday. Um, but these are areas which need heavy investment. And then of course. When you lose a player like Moussa Dembele, he was being sold, but I'd say probably for about six months before he was sold, he was diminishing as a, as a as an athlete. Um, and he was such a rare player and gave Tottenham such in, something which um, is very hard to replicate. So they lost him, and uh, Victor Wanyama became a kind of um, a perpetual injury crisis. And it's such a shame because two years ago Wanyama was was an excellent player, and uh, all of this kind of the um, Vitality has gone out of his game. He was such a he was such a force in the middle of midfield. He was such a good player on the ball, very strong in the tackle, and, and none of that's really true now. Um, so big weaknesses, big big weaknesses. Um, so it's not any one thing. It's just this sort of this this cluster of irritating little factors which have um, which have crept up on the team. I think. No, you're probably right. It usually is sort of a myriad of those factors yeah, rather than so. other than any one thing, but. Um... 
if we move on from that just for a second then and, and, and then do sort of segue on to um, the new stadium I, I was reading some articles where sort of people t- talking about that top four race it, it, it is obviously quite tight there between um, United up until very recently I guess ha- had been in better form you can start to see that sliding away a little bit it'll be interesting to see what happens yeah. with them for the rest of the season but um, Arsenal's certainly been on um, a great run of form um, and as unbalanced as their sort of team is you, you can you can see attacking wise how they could potentially sort of blow their way into that um, into that uh, top four um, or into a top four position rather um, so it's, it, it's going to be an interesting sort of final few weeks um, in the in the actual season but uh, I mean what I want to ask you is could the stadium I mean this big intangible be be something that does provide you with an extra sort of edge and uh, helps to galvanize. I mean, it's very difficult. We talked about the same thing um, at the start of the season in terms of how the impact of Wembley um, or what impact Wembley would have on your season. And now we're looking ahead and and wondering, you know, not that you need this in particular, but um, finally playing a game in your new stadium. Um, I mean, you got a chance to go there on Sunday for a test event. I mean, what do you make of the stadium firstly? And then also, um, I guess, before we touch on it, what do you think the the, the disruptions um, to the stadium have? Um, how has that affected your your season? Uh, well, first things first. I mean, it's it's an amazing place. Um, I think the fear with a new stadium is always that um, clubs look to just literally build something that can hold more people, um, and that their priorities become focused on corporate areas and make as much money as possible. It's clear to me that Spurs have spent a great deal of money on the corporate areas, uh, has spared no expense um, in their press areas either. But there's been great deference to to the, the match uh, the match going fans because uh, the normal fans because it, you walk inside and it, it is quintessentially Tottenham. I don't really know how to expand on that, and it's it's a it's a in itself it's an intangible. It's something that you feel when you walk in. Um, it's very big. It's almost double the capacity of White Hart Lane. And yet somehow it still feels intimate um, and stood up close to it. Um, it's, it's enormous. I mean, it really is compared to White Hart Lane. It is. I mean, when you used to walk down the high road um, when White Hart Lane was there, you couldn't actually see the stadium until the last hundred yards. Um, you know, during night games, the floodlights would, you could see those from uh, much further away. But now when you step out of Seven Sisters, it, it dominates the horizon. I mean, it's, um, it's so dramatically different. I don't. Um, I don't know how it will affect the format. I think. I think the question. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna flip the, that question on on its head and say, I think Wembley became a much bigger problem than people realised. In that, the attitude of the fans became. I mean, there's sort of the the collective fan morale was was damaged pretty severely. Sort of the last few months at, at Wembley saw diminishing um, capacities, uh, diminishing attendances. Um, a real loss of appetite and a general kind of ennui. It was like it was like living in a hotel because it doesn't belong to you. Wembley, Wembley when it's full is great. Wembley when it's half full is dreadful. I mean, it's tinny and empty and and because the because it's so big, you know, closing off a, a single tier at the top of the stadium makes forty thousand people look like fifteen. Um, and it's a, it was a very very difficult to, uh, place to play. And I, I think actually. The team and Pochettino, I, I, I think they're due more credit than they've received for how they've coped with that over the last 18 months. Um, up until very recently, their home form has been pretty good there. Um, so we'll see. I think it's like a, 
I think it's kind of like a, 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 a jolt of adrenaline because one of the things I noticed on Sunday, although briefly, because people aren't that into under 18 football, I'm afraid, um, is that it's very loud. The acoustics are, are perfect. So even when, 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 uh, when they came out, I mean, there were only 26,000 people there on Sunday. Um, but when the, when the, uh, under 18s came out, it got very, very loud, louder than Wembley is in its, uh, at full capacity, which is really interesting. So I think when these players come back, when they, when they, they sort of, when they develop a little bit more, the, the sort of retain the, reclaim the permanence that they've lost by moving away from White Hart Lane. Um, I think that'll be very interesting. I, I'm, I'm not someone that ascribes to intangibles too much. I just think the negative of Wembley will be healed, and that, that's very, very important. Yeah, no, of course. I mean, it's, it's often hard to sort of apportion um, really the impact these things have, but I think especially as, as, as a Liverpool fan, whether I've got any data to back it up or not, I, I think that Anfield has sort of a, definitely has an effect uh, or, or, or can do when it's on top form, for example. You mentioned that about Wembley, but also it's going to be interesting, I guess, with the upcoming games against Manchester City, first and foremost in the Champions yep. League. That's that's the real first cruncher you had there. Um, and then uh, maybe Tottenham West Ham <laughs> yeah, later in the season. Um, that's certainly going to be eventful, I can imagine, in terms of in terms of the crowd there. So, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You, you imagine that, that, that those are going to be the first real tests of, um, what it can be like on, on, for, for big games or, or for, for games where the crowd's going to be especially rowdy. Hello there, guys. Uh, hope you've enjoyed listening so far. If you want to listen to the rest of the show on Anfield Index Pro, uh, why not try it for free with a one week trial via anfieldindex.com slash join? Uh, and what do you get for that, of course? So Liverpool legends speaking weekly, the likes of Jan Mulby, Sir Kenny Dalglish, uh, Trev Downey, of course, uh, you know, top pros speaking tactically, of course, about um, all aspects of the game that to do with Liverpool, really drilling down statistically. Um, you know, of course, you get the under pressure guys you know, looking at uh, you know, the raw data of how Liverpool are performing, the underlying numbers, uh, you know, yeah, quickly myth busting as well on that show so you get all that great insight as well plenty of great fan content of course reactions to all the big news across Europe across the Premier League uh, we get some great experts on with uh, Nina Kauser's Euro Incision show as well um, you're speaking to the likes of Marcotti um, uh, Jonathan Harding and, and journalists across Europe as well um, and of course live shows utilising Discord including the post-match and, and previews as well so it's currently four ninety nine a month uh, or thirty nine ninety nine for a year, which actually works out to, to three pound thirty three per month. So, the mathematicians amongst you, of course, you'll know. Uh, yeah, that's the uh, that's the economical package for you. So, of course, yeah, plenty of good packages there for you guys to, to get involved with Anfield Index Pro, uh, and I really encourage you to do so. Not only can you listen to these dulcet tones, of course, for the rival recon show for the for the rest of the season, but all those other great shows I mentioned, Under Pressure, Euro Incision, uh, Jan Mulby's uh, uh, wonderful pod with Trev Downey as well, uh, Mulby on the spot. So I uh, definitely recommend that you join us uh, as we reach the crescendo of this uh, this season. Uh, hopefully it's going to end with the, with the big one. So why not join us here on Athol Index Pro uh, for the journey? Sports Social Podcast Network.